Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, this is Mike Berg. I'm uh, being joined by Dr. Wade Johnston, or if you want to call him, Dr. Wade. Is that what you... Or Mr. Wade. Mr. Wade is what Mr. I said. Abigail should call me. Well, we should get some uh, stickers and or some sort of paraphernalia swag that says Mr. Wade on it. And we are here for our 10th installment of a series entitled Why America is Losing its mind and if i if i'm correct michael we decided this is the final one this is the so final we're not one. Doing 11 we're combining stuff and doing 10 and this will i think serve kind of as a nice wrap up as well, well. Find out. we're going to entitle to this anti-intellectualism and the fortress and those uh two terms i think will become clearer as we go forward um, we are going to try to be tight in our introduction here. I'd like to mention 1517.com. Org. Uh, .org. I think you can get there at .com, too. I'll check well. it out while you talk. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, YouTube videos, publishing, podcasts, daily blogs. Uh, for everything that is gospel-oriented, please go there. They've been good to us, and um, they deserve um, they deserve a shout-out for sure, not just because they've been good to us, but the content that they produce. I didn't get anything for com, but okay. I did for org. All right, excellent. So 1517.org. Uh, we have a free-for-all today um, that's going to have to do with college football, so if you're not a college football fan, you can feel free to uh, skip ahead. We haven't um, reminded you in a while. The timestamps are in the show notes, so mm-hmm. if you ever like... I don't want to listen to this. You don't we tell to. you we tell you where to go, right, 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 what to skip to. You're free. Yep. You are free. This yep. is a world given back to you. Let the bird fly. So, uh, before we go any further, though, is there something that you would like to remind our listeners? Yeah, we really don't want to get sued. So I believe this disclaimer covers us from every angle, so that we're pretty much immune to uh, We've, litigation. We, we have run this by our top lawyers. Yes. And they assure us that we um, are immune from everything. Right. And I, I believe our top lawyer is probably Peter. I'm, I think we are... Expert in bird law. We are actually even immune from COVID-19 probably. because of this statement. That could be. All right. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well... As a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all, and I have to say, um, we're recording two episodes today, so it's still New Year's Eve, and uh, bowl games are kind of going on, and Mike and I look at each other, and we said, uh, should we do a free-for-all for this one? And I said, well, I got an idea, and Michael said, well, what is it? And I said, college football playoff, and he perked up, kind of shook his hands a little so his sleeves would go out, and said, uh, I've got a solution for this. And yeah, so I don't care about the games this year. But I have a solution to the annual problem of the college football playoff bowl situation. Okay. So, so do you want to talk about the games first? No, I, I'm not that interested in the bowl games either. Um, I will say uh, I personally not a fan of the college football playoff, mm-hmm. but my, my reasoning probably is not good sports reasoning. I think um, as a college sport for people who are hopefully primarily students, um, any solution that keeps extending these seasons mm-hmm. um, ends prop- up being more about money for the NCAA. Um, and it makes it really hard to argue against some sort of payment for these players. Um, and You're- less about the academic well-being of the players, I think. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, many of these players are not going to go to the NFL. Right. And they're going to go on to careers, and hopefully they're getting uh, the most out of their degrees they can. I mean, if you got into... Let's say you get into a, a one of the greatest academic institutions in America because you're able to play football. So let's say Michigan State, mm-hmm. and uh, but then you're not getting a quality Michigan State education. You're not experiencing it in the right. classroom as the same way as you other. 
I, I think that becomes problematic. That being said, tends to be if college football's on, I'll watch it. It's kind of like me with Amazon, right? right? So it's um, and, and college football intellect and will are at, has, they're at war within me. Has made colleges like Notre Dame, right? And I will say. I prefer the college game to oh, sure. the NFL. So, and and governor of Michigan. Although college halftimes need to be shorter, it's ridiculous. Um, the governor of Michigan had signed Gretchen Whitmer, not the first state to do this, but signed at least the ability for students to get paid in the future uh, by using their likeness and stuff like that. And she ended her speech with "Go Green," and she had a state. I didn't know. She oh, she's was, a state fan. Well, she, I mean, like, like it was, it was an odd thing. And I did see a picture and she did, did have a state pin on there. So, um, so we have competing things. Number did one, she is, burn a couch. <laughs> That'd be the best. Um, yeah. Um, doesn't the people, don't the anti-maskers know that she's a Spartan? Like that's their people. Hey. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. That was a low blow. It was. That was a low blow. Um, so Michigan, I'm sure, has plenty of hippies smoking their weed, talking about how you can't trust the government. That's right. Who don't like masks or vaccines either. <laughs> if you've ever walked through Ann Arbor, oh, I know. It's not as if there's not fringe beliefs occasionally yes, the, there. The, a variety. Although I will ones. admit, Ann Arbor is uh, the second best college town in the Big Ten. Where'd you take number one? I would put Madison at number you, one. Yeah. I. I would, Ann Arbor and Madison are close, mm-hmm. but I think there's a little bit more cohesion of feel to Madison than to Ann Arbor. And having the state capital right there. There's more in – Madison's a, quite a bit bigger because yeah, uh, influential-wise because it's state capital. But I think capital plus university there is a really neat feel. But I would go um, – I would put very high up there uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. And then I, you know what? If you want urban feel, Twin Cities are pretty yeah, cool. Minneapolis has its Northwestern's niche. a nice little, yeah. it's a nice little area. State is nice if you want, like Michigan State, Penn State. If you want just a college town, yeah. that's kind of like there's not it, the campus is the main thing. Right. I mean, even though the state capital for Michigan is not far away, right. state's campus feels like state's campus. Right. So sorry, solve the college football. So college football, you have competing things. You have. Uh, you have the, the, the pageantry of the Bulls, right? You have this history which comes with college football. And the endorsements. And, yeah. And, the, and, and then you also have uh, the student-athlete concerns. You have money concerns. But you also have fairness concerns when it comes to people on the, on the field, teams on the field. How can we get these uh, – how can we crown the first champion or the, the ultimate best team? Right, and there's controversy throughout the history of college football because you had different polls. Even President Nixon gets involved in um, declaring a champion one year. You have all of the all of these problems, but you also have something that you want to keep, and that is all the chatter and all the fun talk. I mean, it's fun to talk about that uh, this this team is better than that team. What what's endearing to me about college football is the regionalness about it, right? It is fun to say, okay, there's a West Coast style, there's a Southern style, there's a Big Ten style. So how do you figure this all out? Um, there's also not just the financial issues of money, uh, the big time money, but you're talking about uh, a team like Eastern Michigan needs to go play a Michigan every year to get paid to keep their budget for their whole athletic department, uh, you know, viable. And right? the benefit of that is they have a decent chance of winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, some years. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on here. So um, I have the solution. Are you ready for this? Do not I've interrupt been waiting me. For it. Do not interrupt me. Okay. So. Uh, oh, that reminds me. I'm just joking. My <laughs> we are going to extend the season into January, but I'm going to cut stuff off at the beginning of the, of the year. You're not allowed to start until after Labor Day. All right. There will be a championship game that will rotate from city to city. Maybe we'll play it in New York City once. Who knows? We'll make some big money. The semifinals are both going to be at the uh, what we call the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix. So how many teams are there if these are the semifinals? Just wait. There's, so the semifinals oh, are going to okay. be four. Right? Now, the quarterfinals are going to be the classic bowls. Big Ten plays Pac-10 in the Rose Bowl. The SEC champion goes to the Sugar Bowl. Big 12 goes to the Cotton Bowl. 
ACC goes to the Orange Bowl. So you have that kind of, you know, Charles Woodson with a rose in his mouth after he All right, can you say that part again, though? So Big Ten plays Pac-12. Yep, in the Rose Bowl, like the tradition. Sugar Bowl gets the SEC champion. And? Oh, hold on now. ACC goes to Orange Bowl. Big 12 goes to the Cotton Bowl. So these are your things, right? So that's your your eight-team playoff. Now you have three wild cards, okay? So those wild cards can come from anywhere. They are the next three highest. Hold on. Next three highest uh, teams. There's going to be debate, but that's okay. We want to keep that. So the Big Ten always has to play the Pac-12. In, in, the, in the Rose Bowl as one of the quarterfinals of this playoff game. So you're keeping the classic January 1st Bowls. So we keep the pageantry and all that okay. while a part of this legitimate money-making experience to give us the number one team. Now, those three wild card teams could be another SEC team. It could be um, a uh, not a Power 5 team. That's okay. Now, the first week of December, instead of uh, um, conference championship games, although we could still have ch- conference championship games, you have crossover games. So in year one, for instance... <coughs> The second place team from the Big Ten and the second place team from the Pac-12 are going to play. If you won your conference, you get a bye into that bowl. So one year, the Big Ten is going to play the SEC. You won your conference by record or by playing a championship game? We haven't decided that yet. What I'm saying is... So you would get rid of the division. You wouldn't have the leaders and the best or whatever, the West and the... Not when it comes to this final thing. So at the end of the season... The number one teams from the Power Five get a buy into their bowl games. And then you rotate so the SEC goes to the SEC teams go to the Big Ten one year, Big Ten go to the SEC next year, and then you switch ACC, SEC, and you have this rotation where you go around. So then that means that you got these number two playing each other every year, which then helps you determine who are the three wildcard teams. It also means that these Alabamas, for instance, if they don't win their conference, actually have to play someone tough once in a while, right? They, everybody plays a power five team. And then at the beginning of the year, you get your two, uh, your two small, your two preseason games, basically, right? Where you're going to play a lesser opponent and those lesser opponents get their money for their, for their budget. But you also have an incentive to play a non-conference tough opponent like in these kickoff classics because if Alabama plays Texas and Texas loses on Labor Day, they're not completely out of it because they can still win their conference. In fact, it would be an advantage for them to have a tough non-conference, much like Michigan State in basketball. Okay. Now, it gets a little detailed because you only have, you only have five conferences. So those crossover games, you'd have to finagle some stuff with the non-power five. But this is a, a serious solution that could make money, that could keep the old bull system, that ends up being a nice playoff. And uh, the little guys get their money, and the little guys have a chance to um, um, actually get into the, the playoff. And here's another thing. We're sick of Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Well, the reason, part of the reason is that they are recruiting to the playoff. So you're not going to go to UCLA because you have no chance at a playoff. But you do in this system where you can theoretically win your conference, even if your conference is not as strong as the SEC that, that year. I'm telling you. What do you think? Yeah, though, well, obviously, I... I'm nervous with the January because you're getting into another semester, but, but, um, they're already doing that. And I guess my only other question would be, I mean, right now, the way it's set up, like you don't just win the big 10 with your record or the sec. I think you would have to figure out because you could still have a, and that makes the the in-conference scheduling uber important because if it's just based on record and you are in, what is it? The big 10 West now they call it, which is the weaker one, you know, You've got Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, all those guys beating up on each other. 
on the other side, you can play Nebraska, Northwestern. Right. You could still now. It would be up to their conferences how they claim a champion. So in the Big Twelve, in the Big Twelve, you could have a a regular. You know, you play enough. You could still have a conference championship Thanksgiving week, and then you have the crossover like they attempted this year, where number two in the West plays number two in the East. You know. Yeah. So you could still have your conference championship. I games. do like the play-in options. Right. So, uh, you know. And I do like, I mean, there's just some conferences that you beat up on each other, and then you get, and to be fair, the SEC, right, you better. has some really tough games, and right. but there's there's some conferences where you're not going to be as nearly beat, power but, conference. I mean, the ACC yeah. is getting better, for instance, right. but, but you <clears> could for a long time. You could never complain if you didn't get in the playoff because you had to, should have won your conference. Right. You may be the second best team in the United States, like a Auburn against a, uh, Alabama, but you didn't, you know, but that's how it works in sports. Yeah. It always works that All way. All right, in let's sports. do it then. All right. I don't know who I contact about this, but it's a pretty darn good idea. I would contact ESPN. I heard they had a lot of sweat, <laughs> a lot of uh, juice on this. All right. You ready for the main topic? Yeah, let's do to it. Get serious? Okay. brings us to our main topic so we're combining 10 and 11 for this to have uh, 10 episodes in this series why america is losing its mind um i wrote the bullet points but since seven mike has kind of led the way in how we're going to break stuff up so i'm going to throw it to him in just a moment um but we decided to kind of combine two things which is anti-intellectualism and um fortress mentality and we've talked about fortress mentality in the church before one of our first handful of episodes was indeed i think entitled that um, I've talked about it in connection to uh, my book, Let the Bird Fly. There's a section in there on it. Um, but we're not going to be talking about anti-intellectualism and the fortress of mentality, specifically just with the church, but big picture. So church, state, all that, um, these kind of rivers of thought. And uh, something that comes to mind as we kind of were hashing out stuff, looking into this, is a book that I know we've both read. Uh, that's going to be the campus read here at the college. Um, that I've used in Christ and Culture is The Death of Expertise. I think it's by Tom Nichols, if I'm remembering the yeah. author. I could be wrong. Um, but a helpful book, I think, a, a useful book for people who want to read through it. Um, it's one of those that pretty much anybody who reads it is going to be uncomfortable at some point because he hits on areas that um, eventually each of us is going to find an area where we are an anti-intellectual, right? Um, so I think it's helpful in that regard. But as we round up, why we think America is losing its mind, if it ever had one. And these are just talking points for us. We're not standing over authoritatively over anything. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today about the dangers of an anti-intellectualism. And hopefully we don't let the intellectuals off the hook either because they're partly responsible for it. And then by the fortress, simply uh, we silo ourselves, right? That we restrict what we're exposed to or what we're engaged with. Um, which is often an anti-intellectual approach. Um, and here, intellectual, don't think um, simply academic or scientist. Um, an expert, an intellectual, might be a mechanic, might be an electrician, right? Just as the doctor probably gets frustrated when you go on WebMD and then you go in to see her or him and tell them what's wrong with you, um, I'm sure the electrician and the mechanic get plenty frustrated when someone Googles someone something and comes in and says it's the uh, it's got to be th this part or it's got to be that wire or fix the wiring and then called you to unfix what you fixed. Yeah. So intellectual here um, could also be thought simply as a, as expert, um, and it might be you're expert at your job. You know how to file the things or how these customers are supposed to be treated, whatever else. 
and then someone comes in, maybe it's even your boss who doesn't know your job, but they think they do and tell you something, and you go, you don't even know what you're talking about. How how frustrating is that? Right. So that's kind of what we have in mind. That being said, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to throw it to Mike now because since 7, kind of the combining things and where we're going, I think, Mike, you've you've kind of had things gelling in your own head, and so I'll, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, this will probably serve as maybe a summary of the whole the whole um, the whole enterprise. We might say um, our ten part series here, and I think a lot of it has to do with our relationship with the truth, right? What is true? It's and it's an epistemological question. How do I have access to truth? What is truth? And that is such a huge issue right today. When it's more than just oh fake news or whatever, but what truth comes my way? What are the gatekeepers of information? Is it a Walter Cronkite situation, or is it who pays the the most for ads on Facebook? Right. This has this has ramifications for the flow of information but also for even elections, as we see in the news uh, every day uh, when it comes to technology and its relationship with information and thereby the truth. Um, What has frustrated me a little bit is the idea, well, let me start with the the experts, since you were playing off of that a little bit. Some of this has to do with the the professionalization, I don't know if I can make up a word like that, of certain um, disciplines. I think of, there was a turn when philosophers, perhaps with Immanuel Kant, where philosophy became not some seeking for truth, the examined life, but a professional job, right? And, and not that Kant made it that, but I think we, we see, for instance, with Kant and others, things became so technical. Yep. Th- that's what that I mean. in order for someone to master them or really be able to um, engage in it in a meaningful way, the, the demands on one's time almost and, made it have to become your primary vocation. And so we are not, and anti-intellectualism is not a uh, uh, just a criticism of somebody who says, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to be proud that I got an eighth grade education and I know more than the person who went to Yale. In a lot of ways, you probably do if you're a mechanic, if you are whatever it is. Um, that's not, not, that's not the, exactly what we're talking about here. We, we do lay some of the blame on people who are the experts. Can you talk? Can you, can you make your field for neighbor? That is, can you articulate this? Can you think in terms of what is this to regular people in their day-to-day life rather than me being a professional and advancing my own And how do we experience this? For instance, if the doctor comes into your hospital room and is the doctor explaining on terms and in ways you understand what is going on with you or is he or she looking to get in and out and throws out a bunch of words you've never heard before? Is it the mechanic explaining what's actually wrong with your car in a way you can understand we have to fix this which does that or is it the mechanic tossing out terms and expecting you to just pay up? Is it tech support um, when you call in for your computer, treating you in a condescending way like a dummy as if you can't possibly understand anything? Or is it him or her trying to explain this thing which does that might be the issue where we go in here? So think of those experiences you've had in life. And we've all had that. Or the politician uh, who simply, and this is not to put down policy wonks, they're very important, but is it the policy wonk who says, this is the best policy, I've done the math, get on board, or is it the policy wonk who can say, you know how we have problems with this, this, this? Mm-hmm. Here's problems with how we've addressed it. Here's how this could help. And for us, the layman in whatever situation we are in, that we appreciate that and that uh, we take time to listen to that, right, and not try to twist it and spin it in our own way, which is also a frustration as well. So, and then we, we've talked off, off air too about the silo effect, right? The chemist doesn't even know if there is a philosophy, philosophy department. <laughs> and if so, they th- couldn't name half the people there. And that's true of the theologians and the, those in the right. humanities. The professor who has no clue what's going on over in the, in the science building. Uh, so everybody should take a philosophy course, but uh, pastors should be taking more science. And I say that to my great shame that I didn't take my science seriously. I took I botany, so I feel like yeah. I really have a we handle did, on so it. did, so did I, remember? Yeah. I, was, I did okay. Oh, I think we both took it because we had done landscaping. Yeah. I had done landscaping for years, so I knew 
I knew the stuff. A lot of basic terms. I did. Um, still didn't do very well. No, I think I got a D. Yeah, me too. But you know what? D's pass. <laughs> D's get degrees. No, it's C's get degrees. But yeah. so do D's. So do D's in some cases. <laughs> um, but let's go back to a bigger question, which is our relationship with the truth. Um, so there, it's not just a um, science versus religion sort of thing, faith versus facts sort of thing. Um, or um, reason versus emotion or soft sciences versus hard sciences. There is... Uh, some philosophical movements that attacked language, um, primarily in the 60s and the 70s, that uh, led us to believe that language um, is not um, a reliable avenue to get to truth for a variety of reasons. We're not going to go down through the whole Wittgensteinian turn and postmodernism and stuff like that. We'll, we'll leave that for a different time. But there was an attack on words. There was also an attack on what was termed meta-narratives, overarching stories that give us a framework of how to uh, view truth, the world, ourselves, ethics, all that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> the attacks on meta-narratives, overarching stories and words, um, were both attacks on Christianity, which is a meta narrative, but also evolution, which is a meta narrative, and specifically science. Uh, along with that came uh, uh, the idea of language power games, that all language is always going to be, uh, or should we should look at language <clears throat> through the lens of power. And this is why, as we mentioned in the previous episode, we so often hear now people call language violence yep this is a it's a it's always in terms of power which means there's going to be an oppressor and somebody who is oppressed a mic and a wade yeah um now so what does frustrate me is when you have somebody let's say on the far left i know i don't like those terms i'm i'm breaking my own rule although we were more okay with them politically yeah we don't like them especially in the church getting very frustrated with, let's say, an anti-science stance from somebody on the right. That frustrates me because the attack on science really came from more of a left-leaning right. mindset rather than a we right. We prefer our racism unscientific, <laughs> right. not scientific. <laughs> um, I mean, not we. I'm talking about <laughs> sometimes from the, from the left you'll have... Um, especially as things play out with critical race theory or stuff mm -hmm. like that sometimes. Um, and I'm not, um, we're not going to go way into critical race mm -hmm. theory here, but, but some who take it really far mm -hmm. will make statements that um, if anyone else had made them in a previous century would be condemned as terribly racist. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the, in the 19th or 20th century, you might have had others who arrived at racism um, through abusing scientific theory, for instance, mm -hmm. Darwinism, um, so that's why I make the joke of right. so-and-so likes their racism, unscientific, not scientific. I don't like racism personally. Yeah. Mike, I'm not going to speak for you, but... I don't. So and let I the bird fly. We especially are, the post-enlightenment type racism. So let the bird fly, anti-racism. Unofficially anti-racist. But not necessarily anti-racist in every way that that term is used sure. now. Sure. Because sometimes being anti-racist means being racist. Yes, but that is has to do with language We're games pro, and power. Pro all races. In yes. fact, I don't even like the Enlightenment concept of racism. No, that and that that's something I think we is an interesting concept to say. I like nations, tribes, and people. <laughs> we, we to put it in sort of the joking way that you did. We want to hate and war against each other for old reasons, not for Darwinistic reasons. Right. <laughs> we prefer our wars and genocide for cultural reasons, not race reasons. And not to build some oppressive structure. There you go. But rather to perpetually tear down a structure um, in a never-ending oppressor, oppressee, 
revolving cycle of disorder and chaos. Nobody stands at the end of this game. Nobody can stand righteous. I mean, I suppose theoretically we all kill each other until it's finally right. two people. And then the, the, oppre- uh, the, the oppressed finally beats the oppressor. But then the oppressed would become the oppressor because they're the only ones right. standing. So really it is, it's a, it just can't. It's like Euchre. It's no end. Every hand, someone else has the trump card. And not it's Trump the like the president. It's the end. But the, like the right or left power. But speaking about... Um, we president could riff Trump. like this for an hour. I That'd know. be a good episode. Sorry, go ahead. Speaking of President Trump, uh, has been criticized, I think rightfully so. Really? For making... Where have you seen... I haven't noticed that. For making statements that um, are objectively not true. According to... <laughs> According to... The lamestream media. <laughs> so, but this is, this is the irony and of it all. Biased facts. Right. This is the irony of it all that when a left-leaning person gets very frustrated at certain people's loose affiliation with the truth, um, that they're playing the postmodern language game just better than you, right? right? To their advantage. And the problem is not so much that there is somebody out there who has... You're not insinuating people on the left have lied as well. <laughs> that, But... It is that philosophy that has led to this. But they don't lie, right? Uh, I don't know that. Because uh, I have not heard in the media that the left ever lies. Right. Um, that is because truth is a construct on the left, but not on the right. Do you see the problem? That truth is a construct when I say it. Right. But when somebody else says something, then so, there's going to be rigorous tools to figure out if that is true so or they not empirically. They, dis- they just deconstruct truth. They deconstructed truth. In ways that might not be fact-based. But, but people on the right um, are bound by the rules of empiricism and proper use of language well, not just and punctuation. I would say the liberal tradition. Yep. Because there's people on the right who are not sure. bound by no. empiricism at, at all. So I have a seen them at uh, the corner of 51st in Oklahoma. <laughs> on, on, on numerous occasions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think what <clears throat> we're... Have we offended everybody yet? Yes. What we're trying to get at here is that our loose affiliation with the truth, think spin, think... Our convenient use of the truth. Use of the truth is quite hypocritical because we have high standards for somebody else's um, to gauge somebody else's truthfulness, but we do not use those same criteria for ourselves. And this is very human, but a postmodern language game power, however you want to describe it, um, this has allowed a very anti-science, it has allowed, let's say, a cover, an academic cover for some pretty anti-science empirically based science stuff on both the left and the right. So we would like to point out that um, when somebody, let's say, is an anti-vaxxer, that does not necessarily mean that they are right or left. In fact, as before we recorded this, I speculated to Michael, I think many on the far left and right are going to find kinship oh, sure. in being anti-vax because it's the perfect, like, both streams mm-hmm kind of lead towards this or if you like call somebody a marxist communist and then the other side says you're a fascist and then you kind of look at fascism and marxism and communists and you go i'm not sure that they're as far as apart as they really think they are and i am to be fair i am nervous about the vaccine because i don't know if you've heard yet michael but the vaccine allegedly inserts a 5g antenna yeah we talked about this last time go ahead sorry I said I was going to make up this conspiracy okay. last time, and this time, in case people hadn't okay. listened, okay. Okay. I was just going to throw it out there, because that's how it works, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm you sorry. ruined it. No, I'm sorry. You're going to get controlled by 5G if you take the vaccine. That's what I'm saying. And what was my... You basically would become like a character in a video game. But I thought this was a good idea, because at least then you knew it. <laughs> <laughs> or remember how we could, if we could choose... Which corporation ran our lives? Yeah, you picked uh, Big Tech. 
Wait, no, we never did that. I I picked Bill. You Gates. said you were. The, I never had to choose one. I said if if I could choose, I would choose. But I didn't get to choose. Bill. Well, I don't know if you wanted to, but I would choose Bill Gates to control my life. I think he's more. I think he has got a bigger heart than, like Zuckerberg or, Bezos. Or whoever's in charge of Twitter. Oh. It has to be a big corporation. No. Big enough. I would pick a smaller one, but I would have to think of a good one. I'm going to go with Ford right now. <laughs> They've got good union representation. Right. They've they, kind of, they made it through they the crash a, without they, taking government they money. Run, they run a fantastic football they have a organization. Nice truck. No, they, oh, they need to give up the Lions. Okay. Yeah, you know what? They already kind of control my life, and I don't want Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's, let's try to get back focused on here, this idea. Maybe Ben and Jerry's. Our, they're pretty liberal, but they're chill. Yeah, I don't know if they're always that... I don't know. They seem a little... Do they get angry? I think they, they are the ones that... I don't like the ones who get really angry about the injustice in the world when they have never experienced any injustice there themselves. All right. I'll think of something. Go ahead, yeah, okay. though. So our loose affiliation with the truth is... This is Mike and Wade do comedy. ...is something that has has been brewing in the academy for a very long time and it is often seen as the other person is lying and i'm telling the truth it becomes politicized when i would say that the bigger issue is that we all are having a problem with accessing truth and um, our relationship with the truth is maybe not as thoughtful as it should be. I'm being uh, too vague here. Let me kind of summarize. Um, it's not that the other person has a problem with lying and spinning information. It's we all have a problem with when it comes to epistemology, and that is perhaps a bigger threat to America's future, since we're talking about America losing their mind, than one party gaining control over the other party. Would you agree with that, Wade? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Well, what am I supposed to say now? Now, you go, what, what else are you thinking about when it comes to uh, anti-intellectualism and the fortress? Yeah, I would say um, just in general, um, and especially because of the Internet where we can all Google something or find a chat group uh, full of experts, <clears throat> there's... Um, there's been a decline of trust in experts, and there's been a decline in people willing to go into fields that they perceive as being dominated by people with whom they might, might not agree. So I'm a conservative, so I'm not going to go into the humanities because they're a bunch of liberals. Um, this is dangerous because right, what the academy needs to begin with is a uh, diversity of opinion or... Um, you know, you you pick the you pick the the field. Um, on the flip side, uh, this anti intellectualism <coughs> becomes an easy way for experts to self justify and feel good about themselves and look down others, and really fail to to do the public good and to do well. And even I would say this extends into the classroom, where you sometimes can have professors who just see their students as beneath them and. Um, they don't know anything, and rather than wanting to explain things in a way that draws them into an interest in the field and provides them with a deeper understanding so they can have a well-rounded education, um, they're just going to memorize concepts and spit stuff out to get them, to get them through. Um, so a failure of intellectuals to connect their field to the real world and then a failure of people to appreciate what experts have to contribute in the real world, and that this leads to various fortresses. <clears throat> so you can have the expert who has almost no contact with the non-expert because they just want to be with the expert. And this can take place on a university campus or it can take place in a social club. Uh, it can take place about anywhere. This process really begins in middle school or high school, right? You join the club that you think you belong to and you wear the clothes that you think you should wear, um, you play a role. Um, and so what you have then is a lack of cross-fertilization. 
which has led to technology, um, which isn't uh, connected to ethics or to um, which hasn't been uh, vetted by or isn't in part guided by interdisciplinary voices um, for how it can be used well or poorly. Um, this can play into uh, medical decisions and the extent to which the patient is really in informed to the extent in which they know um, what is being done. This can play into world diplomacy um, where you can have a citizenry that has little to no um, understanding or access to information about what is being done on their behalf by experts. But then on the flip side, those who become little mini diplomats who, right, we should just bomb Iran mm -hmm. um, without an appreciation for what might come with that. Um, and I think it's, you know, to go back to WebMD, all of us have it in us. Um, and so it shuts us off from being able to expand the amount of knowledge we have, um, from being able to grow in wisdom and how to apply these things. Sometimes we demonize things that in some ways could actually be beneficial and, and healthy. Um, sometimes we deify things um, that then shut us off from, from the benefits of, of, of other, other things. Um, and I think it just fuels what we've hit on so far, the polarization, the partisanship, things of that sort. I think we've seen this in the church, um, in Lutheranism especially, in the Synodical Conference. We had the battle um, for the Bible, which was an important uh, thing. Um, the Bible is most certainly the Word of God. It is the norm uh, for Christian faith and practice. It's not myth. It's not a collection of nice stories. Uh, um, Christ is a real person who really was born of a virgin, who really died, who really rose. And yet at the same time, we saw as a response to that, um, since a lot of the ideas that were brought into the church that were more hist historical, critical, or mythologizing were PhDs, a fear of PhDs or the academy, which in many ways has shut us off so that our ability to engage with religious or other intellectual thought ends with Peeper's dogmatics. And so we really, you know what, we can really hammer the 19th century reformed uh, streams of thought, but what do we do with the stuff that is actually out there today, um, which has led to students being ill-equipped to face real challenges, and so we, we fill them up with 24-7 day creation and, and this and that, um, which is great, but then they go out and they hear what seem to be, and what in many cases are legitimate questions about that, mm -hmm. and we've not equipped them to understand, A, where the questions come from and why they come up, or B, how to address them besides saying, this is what teacher or pastor or professor so-and-so said. Um, and I think it's really limited our ability to do service to neighbor. And I don't mean that simply as in people in the church need to be getting PhDs. We need to be reading, and we need to be reading more than just what comes out from our, um, you know, safe publishing houses. Um, there's a danger that always comes when anyone shuts themselves off from or silos themselves. This is not to say, I don't think my new confirmand should be reading Barth or Hegel or um, you know, in a contemporary thing, I'm not going to throw them into um, deep postmodern works. Um, but um, those who have been entrusted with reaching out to people and with um, protecting the flock and with building them up need at some point to be able to engage with these things. We've seen it happen with siloing in politics so that you're either the party that is that denies climate change or you're the party that makes climate change almost a religious movement. Um, it. Uh, Are you a centrist on this? I might be with Mike in the middle. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I think you know that's what I partly what I want to uh, to hit at uh, on it that, that one's own intellect is is not sufficient to be an an informed or wise person. Um, one needs um, to be both built up and challenged. And and I'd say what I'm about to say with full recognition that I'm on a podcast. but Just a podcast. Just a podcast. But the people who 
tend to have the loudest voices are the ones that are least read. Um, they miss nuance. They've learned the right slogans. They've right. They've and and <clears throat> you get really excited when you read one book. Yep. Right. And it's like a new Christian. Yeah. And you're on fire for Jesus, and you're his warrior. And those are the ones that tend to be the loudest within within a political party, but also within uh, academia sometimes. I, I'm thinking of students, right? Uh, activist students, um, but also in the church. And uh, the, the, the ones that you seek out are the pastors, or the ones we should seek out are the pastors who tended to be quiet. Um, and well-read. And the reason that they were quiet was um, they realized that perhaps there was more to the story than what they knew. Um, and I say that being being that guy sometimes, but off, often being the opposite guy, the guy that ran my mouth. And I think you would probably say the same about your experience too. Um, so there, there is... <sighs> Read widely, purposely read other people, right? Um, I, for instance, um, will purposely read some stuff that's far right. Not, I'm not talking like alt right. I'm talking. Well, actually, most of the time right. I walk in uh, Mike's office, he has Alex Jones on. Yeah, that's right. Um, just, just to. The other day he was talking about frogs forever. I couldn't figure out what he was trying to say. Just to. Just to see, even if it's just kind of going through the headlines, right? What, what is, what is getting to the people on that side? What are, what are, what the gatekeepers of information for the right and for the left, what are the gatekeepers allowing through? Right? So what, what is, uh, my left leaning student and my right leaning student, what are they getting? What's in their mind right now? Right? What is what is on their mind right now is a better way to say it. What, what, was, what did their news feed give them to think about today? And just by headlines, what things get through, you can, you can tell. So you really got to fight against that, right? And along those lines, um, to use a student comparison, you know, every student's going to end up with a major. And they might think, I've got my major. Maybe they go into grad school. Maybe they get their advanced degree in that. And they might think, I can't be an anti-intellectualist because I'm an intellectual. No. Mm -hmm. If that's the only thing you've tried to, to not even just master, but to become conversant with, you're just as anti-intellectual. Um, you're just ex an extremely credentialed <laughs> um, anti-intellectual person. And this is uh, something I've had to learn the hard way. You know, as someone who, uh, I will say, coming out of some, I wanted to be a pastor. Right, I could see myself being a pastor again. I don't think any of our friend group came out of seminary expecting to teach college. Is that fair to say, Michael? I, the, and the ones that probably did, I wouldn't have trusted. Right. Um, in fact, I think all of us probably expected to be sent to Podunk, whatever. Mm -hmm. and Where we wouldn't do much damage. Right. I think that's fair to say. Um, but as someone who got the taste of grad school and really enjoyed it, and I would be a perpetual student if I could be, mm -hmm. One thing I learned the more I delved into my field was how much I needed to learn other fields. Mm -hmm. right? If I was going to study history, well, I had to get into some history of science because this is plain. And I had to get more aware of political science because what was, was driving these conditions that impacted this or that. I had to learn some philosophy. What were the concepts they were Excuse me, <clears throat> laboring in? I had to learn languages. Um, because whatever you're reading in a translation is uh, filtered, hmm. right? Um, I had to learn cultural things, ethnography. And I'm not master of any of those, but I needed to grow in them. Then I realized, well, if I'm going to translate my field um, and have it have some contemporary value for people, I've got to learn contemporary things. Otherwise, I'm going to make... Um, unwise and unfounded comparisons. And we see people do this with history all the time. This is like that. Um, and so as we grow deeper into something, um, we also ought to not grow equally as deep, but to some degree wider as well, kind of like a, a river, right? And uh, 
you might be the best neurologist around, but can you deal with patients of various cultures, various religious backgrounds, various language backgrounds, various economic backgrounds, various fears, various fi- uh, fam- familial dynamics, various psychological states, <clears throat> right, um, who are operating within systems that are pol- uh, defined by a political and economic structure, right? If You might be the best mechanic in the, in the world, right? Um, but in the same way, can you deal with your customers? Can you understand what the what's the value of that car? What's the point? Should we be a car society? Yeah. Um, these are all things that can come into play. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, almost all of us serve someone based on our profession. And many of us vote. And all of us get taxed. <laughs> and if anything, that should make all of us want to be more informed regularly and to appreciate others who have become more deeply informed in areas that ought not feel a challenge to us, but ought to be complimentary of us. And I'll say this is something that being at the college has really taught me. Yeah. I, you know, um, I, and, and I'll just let me finish and I'll let you jump in because I know you have the same thing. Because, for instance, you and Carrie have done projects together. Yeah. Um, being at the college and you sit and you have lunch with people or you have conversations with people, I have become so much more interested in what my colleagues do from from communications to fine arts to physics to biology um, and realized the real world value of these things in a way that I maybe didn't have before. And I'll, I'll stop yeah. now and throw you, yeah, to you I, for final thoughts. You know, like right now I'm, I'm on a... Uh neuroscience kick right now i really want to understand the brain as much as i can so that's kind of a similar thing in what you're saying and here's here's a real life here's an example a real life example of this that you can get caught in your little silo in your little you you want to get to your you want to get to this point by any means possible you want to come to this conclusion you want to justify your research if you're an academic. You want to justify your political stance if you're a citizen. And so you find something in some other field or maybe in your own field and you take this little nugget that really is like point one hundred in a thousand page point book and you make it the thing, right? So you may say uh, language is does not equal truth. Right. So we got to be careful that when I write the three letters C-A-T in English, that that does not equal an actual cat. Right. Language is an approximation. We understand that there there's some gray area there. I'm going to take that little nugget and I'm going to make it so that language cannot get me to truth for a variety of reasons. What if the so what if what, the C-A-T, you know how they sometimes make right words and then they're in the shape of the thing it's still a picture it's it's, still a symbol it's still a symbol like schoolhouse rock back (laughs) but you you take one thing without appreciating perhaps um the full the full discipline of language of philosophy whatever or better yet you just ignore it to get to your point of view you can you can see this with any political thing you want, right? So someone is going to be um, anti-guns, like we should have no guns whatsoever, and they're going to say, "See this one particular instance." What do you do is if someone proof- snow blows their snow on you? <laughs> right, but they're going to totally ignore the rest of the story. Now, on the other side, it's going to be the same point. You can take any issue at all, and someone's going to take one little argument without fully knowing that whole discipline or that whole, the ramifications of this one argument for different disciplines or different aspects in life. And they're gonna run with that to justify their, to justify their conclusion that they have already made up. And the truth gets lost in that. And as we would say, the neighbor gets lost in that as well. Yeah, and as we, we wrap up, just a couple things I wanted to hit on, Mike. I don't want to share the specific day because I want to respect your privacy. But did uh, did you and your wife have a special day that happened this week? We we have been married 19 years. So right. I want to say happy anniversary to my friend Michael. Um, and also, I hope I can call her friend. Yeah. Um, to Amanda, you are a wonderful woman who is married a wonderful man. And I wish you 
many, many more years of bliss. Yeah. Um, any other events this week that have happened? Oh, Abigail finally got her actual driver's license. Yeah, our um, Abigail, who has been producing a number of our she episodes. Wants, she wants to drive by herself on New Year's Eve for the first time to downtown Milwaukee. Yeah. What's in downtown Milwaukee? Now? She has a friend that lives there. Okay. The, uh, so my, you, my kids so also know, want to drive tonight, and I've told them the the streets are full of drunks. Yeah. Um, are, will the drunks stay home for COVID or no? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let her, but she's going to spend the night and come the, back the next day, so I feel okay with that. But I have used this to my advantage. I said she, if, she, if she produced two episodes before this evening, then I would let her go with my car. She sent one already. Right. So I, uh, but I would, we should give her an official, what's her, uh, should we call her assistant producer and Peter's main producer still? Does Peter even exist anymore? I if Peter doesn't upload anything, does he exist? Kind of like the, <clears throat> if we send Peter an episode and it doesn't get produced, does Peter exist? I'm nervous that Peter has left us to join some sort of libertarian commune. Do libertarians have communes? They're separate communes, but they're kind of in the same area. It's kind of like Eastern monasticism versus Western monasticism. The, uh, so they kind of butt up against each other so they can hire each other. Because if, right, if you're in your commune, you're not going to want the government to give you a police force, so you might hire. So it's not really a com- It's like your own commune. Like a, well, you've got your family there. It's a, it's a family commune living by other family communes. Right. That you could hire. And it's a begrudging commune. Like you're, you're with your family, but you're also like, don't tread on me. But anyways, I hope Peter is okay. So would we say Peter is producer? Well, we still give him that time. He did we, it for a long time. We should like executive producer. Okay. Right. And he so we, really could we anything. say that uh, Abigail's assistant producer? For now. Can I be assistant to the assistant? Because I sometimes produce. Yep. yep. And so I would like to. And I'm just the talent. I would like to wish our assistant producer. Um, blessings and congratulations upon her driver's license. Uh, this is going to come out later. Um, so if you're driving today, be safe. But just for the future, know that New Year's Eve is just full of drunks on the roads. And I hate to say it, but maybe even especially in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, use your turn signal whenever you're driving. Right? Check your side mirrors. People forget that. Any driving advice you have, Mike? Uh, um, I don't really buy into the 10 and 12 or whatever. You do whatever you want with your hands, but have at least one on the wheel. I think here, here's one. Stay off your phone unless yeah, you're using it for Google Maps. Here's one is actually know where you're going. Don't rely on the, the Google Maps. Oh, I rely on Google Maps. I mean, but you're an experienced driver. Yo, okay, I got Like you. where you say, you need to get over in the third to left lane in the next second to say i i kind of know where i'm going so i can prepare for these instructions and beware of the weather right even seasoned drivers rain snow take wind take note of it oh yeah so i tried to we had a big snowstorm here uh well it wasn't big but it was was, we got like six inches six inches and so that's uh, like a big snowstorm in the south i wanted to there is a park and ride by our house and I wanted to get Abigail out there in the snow and I wanted her to literally spin out so she could feel that and know, you know, she, she could know what to look for and all that kind of stuff. But, but by the time I got done taking care of my driveway and getting my teenage daughter up out of bed and over there, they had already plowed. Hmm. Was Next there, time. was there a uh, snow against the walls around it? Cause it might've been my neighbor. <laughs> No, it wasn't. All right. Well, Abigail, be safe. Amanda, enjoy your husband. He's a wonderful man. Um, and to the rest Mike, of our audience. enjoy your wife. She's a wonderful woman. Happy anniversary to anyone in our audience. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Anyone in our audience getting their driver's license. Congratulations. You are now part of the truly American experience. Yeah, right? It's, the, it's car culture. The car is the great liberator. It's car culture. Supposedly. And, uh, you know, watch out for anti-intellectualism. We all do it. We're guilty. Beware of the fortress. And uh, otherwise, in 2021, as we prepare to move into it, this will come out of ways into it. But uh, no matter what happens, yeah, just let it fly. Uh, Every evening when the sun goes down. 
getting my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.